0: Hello and welcome to Access Chat. Uh, delighted that we're joined today by Charlotte Dales, who is the co-founder and CEO of Inclusively, which is a platform aimed at helping people with disabilities get into jobs and helping employers get talent from the disability community because this is something that's really close to my heart and Deborahs and Antonia's too. So delighted to have you with us today, Charlotte. Um, it's a testament to the power of Deborah's other show, Human Potential at Work. I was actually listening to that show, heard you talking on there, and thought, all right, we need to have Charlotte on and, and talking about what she's doing on Access Chat. So, so welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself, how you came to be working in this field, and and, and what is inclusively.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Um, I am excited to be here as well. Um, So I um, got started on Inclusively a few years ago. Um, I actually was living over in London for 10 years. I started and sold my first tech startup over there. Um, And while I was starting uh, selling my first company, my cousin became the first licensed facialist in the state of Florida with Down syndrome. So she gives facials at a local salon. And after getting my first facial from her, I knew this would be my next company. It was just incredibly clear to me, not only um, that she was able to achieve such a far greater potential than she had been told uh, she was capable of all these years, but also when I actually went in to get the facial I noticed that her employer only had to make some slight adjustments to her working environment to make her successful. And so what I wanted to figure out is how can we use technology to make it really, really, really seamless and easy for employers to accommodate candidates' unique requests at scale across the disability spectrum? So everything from Down syndrome and autism to stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and physical disabilities and everything in between.
0: Excellent, excellent. so um glad that you enjoyed the u k so much that you had to flee back to America.
1: um I became a citizen before I left
0: <laughs> great, so um we are firm believers in helping people and we recognize people's potential uh we we think that it is a real challenge for business. really work out to know what they need to do to to do this stuff I I, I work for a a large corporation and I'm involved in running all of those kind of programs but frequently talk to other large corporations as well and there is a range of different responses that you get from people ranging from the well we don't think there are people with the skills We'd like to, but we don't think there are people with the skills to well we'd like to but 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 how and 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 we and and we'd like to but we can't you know we can't find the candidates, how do we source them you know are we looking in the wrong place so how do how do you address some of those issues
1: yeah, so I think. You know, one of the biggest uh, things that we've come up against, you know, early on was the first point you made, which people just have a very narrow lens of what the word disability means, and that it's one type of person, and that person can only do these certain types of jobs. But ultimately, someone with a disability can do any job at any company. It just depends on what their disability is, what their skill set is, and what accommodations they need, and. What are the skill sets of a job and what accommodations can reasonably be made for that job? And so um, the second piece is then, you know, because people have such a narrow lens around what you know, jobs should be made available for people with disabilities, then the whole how do we get candidates with disabilities comes into play because they're making all these one-off partnerships and and sort of having to cherry pick different jobs for people. And it's more charitable than real inclusion. And so what we found is that, and then the I'll, I'll, I'll say a third point, if you get past those two things, the third thing people will say is we're not ready yet. Um, as if there's something, you know, a decision that you as a company get to make about if you're ready or not um, to hire people with disabilities. And so we sort of hit um, all three of those, I I guess, objections, you can call them, um, with our product. So um, firstly, we are working with and um, targeting candidates across the disability spectrum. So we work with um, all the nonprofits, government agencies, training programs that you know help across the spectrum of disability. And we aggregate all of those candidates into one place so that there's actually a one-stop shop partnership ecosystem for employers to access the demographic really seamlessly. This avoids them having to make the decision of what skills do these people have is how they ask it. And we say it doesn't matter because now we're collecting all these candidates. And we know what skills they have and what accommodations they need. Um, and then on the other side, we're pulling the jobs from the employer side. And we know what, jo- what skills the job needs. And we're able to understand, based on the job description, what accommodations they should reasonably be able to make. So we move a lot of that subjective subjectivity out of the way for the employer just by virtue of having candidates who are comfortable self-disclosing their accommodations ahead of applying, which is something they've traditionally been told not to do um, because, you know, they're worried that it will uh, be a disadvantage for them to get the job. However, they know on our platform, all of our candidates are um, are working, or are, are, are all of our employers are actually trying to access these candidates. So they're comfortable self-disclosing ahead of time, which means there's Um, A lot more that can be done to make the experience more seamless, having transparency between both sides. And on the third element um, where people will say, you know, we're not ready yet. um, We we are not just sending candidates accommodations over to the employer, but we're sending what the accommodation is, how to provide it, why someone might ask for it. And we have acts, they have access into our um, success. We call accommodations success enablers. They have access into our success enablement chat. So if they're about to interview someone, they can say, you know, they asked for this interview accommodation. Can you can you make sure I'm doing this correctly? So they're actually learning by virtue of um of it's being woven into the process of actually meeting real candidates and real experience versus relying on annual diversity trainings to change people's behavior when you need them to change
2: so um charles i'm i'm very interested in uh, see how that relationship between the candidate and the human resources of the organization is being managed is being managed because we know that Many organisations have HR teams that are not particularly ready uh, to understand the context of people with disabilities. They might not even be ready to, con- to interview someone with a dis- disability. Um, how do you make sure that the individuals that are being interviewed and the people doing the interview, that somehow uh, ones are not frustrating the expectation of the others and the others really know what to do when they are in the, in the, in the interview?
1: Yeah. So when we onboard our customers, we have a series of 12 trainings. We um, annually allow uh, customers to choose six, um, but three of them are mandatory. So we have three courses that everyone has to take. And then the other three, based on sort of progress, we'll, we'll decide like maybe what they need to focus more on. But the first three are around how to have an inclusive culture for people with disabilities, how to interview people with disabilities and how to combat ableism. Um, And everyone has to take those three before they start working with us. Those are more of a traditional, um, you know, kind of higher level introductory training. Um, But then, as I said, when the candidates are applying for jobs at these companies, they're getting, um, they're, they're um, applying on our website, but we're routing that, application directly through the company's existing applicant tracking system. So when they pick up that resume, they'll see that it's an inclusively resume, that the candidates requested accommodations, that they have that they can actually click in and see the candidates profile, their accommodations, um, and then they can click into the individual accommodations and see, you know, why, I think the why is huge. Like, why would someone ask for this? Like, first, let's just make people understand each other better. Like, Why would someone ask for this? Um, what, you know, what, um, are different ways in which you can offer this accommodation? And then, as I said, they then can also reach out to someone on our team through our chat and, you know, ask additional questions. So they have almost someone, um, it's almost like guided learning through the process, um, and making sure that, you know, at a high level, we train them at the onset, But to me, the real value is they meet someone, they provide an accommodation in the interview even, and there's always like a light bulb where they're like, oh, like we didn't have to do a panel interview or that was really easy because I just adjusted this one thing and it it was free and not a big deal. Um, And it's like they start to see that actually providing accommodations, as long as you learn and understand what they are, aren't that hard or expensive or disruptive to make
2: so once they they are hired you no know, they get they they get into the job they might receive some training that's usually the normal things uh, em- uh, employees will have a kind of a journey within within their employer and and to their uh, life cycle how do you make sure that then when they are in they have the accommodations how can we assure retention and you no know, uh, At the moment, during the interview, the the candidate was able to meet an HR person, but after that, they are going to meet a manager and other employees from that organization. How can we achieve success there as well?
1: So we, uh, I guess lots of companies are different. Most, they start with HR, but eventually they're meeting a hiring manager, which is someone they're going to be working with. Um, And the accommodation information gets, um, you know, passed on to everyone involved. Um, But we also, um, we also have um, a training around onboarding people with disabilities. But most importantly, Anyone at any of the companies that we work with can access our platform and can receive support from us um, along the way. So we actually don't care if it's someone that's newly disclosed at your company that didn't come through us. You can reach out to our success enablement chat and say, hey, we actually don't have this product or service. Do you have a recommendation? Or how do you you suggest I handle um, this new request? Um, And then I'll say another thing is, um, you know, when when people talk about not being ready, the best way to become ready is to start collecting the data around what accommodations are people asking for instead of guessing what you need to do to be ready. And so another value to our product is, you know, we may send 100 applicants for a job um, and you may only interview two. But what you're collecting is for that job, what were the most commonly requested accommodations for the interview? What were the most commonly requested accommodations for on the job? And as you think about it, if you start collecting that for all your jobs, which people aren't really disclosing in normal processes, they're actually able to start um, also sorting out on there in some of the things that you just said with real data to see, you know, okay, all, you know after six months, what were all the requests that we got for all the applications that were submitted? Do we have a process for these? Do we have a service for these? How? What is the cost structure for these? And they start to realize that there's a lot of commonalities, that a lot of them are really easy and very few of them are costing money. And if they do cost money, it's $500 or less.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so that data is, is, is really useful. And, and I think that it helps remove some of that fear of of, oh we don't know what to do we don't know how to handle it you know it's too hard maybe we can't do it so maybe we'll just not bother this time and the next time and the next time and that's how it perpetuates do you um publish anonymized data on some of these things in terms of i mean you know what are the most commonly requested accommodations because i think that that that's useful to the wider community you
1: know Regardless of whether or not they're your your immediate customer base, yeah. So we so we launched a couple of years ago. We are starting to do a lot of that now. So we have you know access to data if you're a customer. but mm-hmm. actually starting to now aggregate all the different um, data together and start to understand um, per industry, per job type, what are the most common requested accommodations. Um, we haven't really done anything big yet in, ter- in terms of like publicly producing a report, but that's something we we plan to do next year. Now that we have like a, f- we really started selling this year. Um, now that we have a full year of data um, across 50 clients that we work with.
0: Okay, and and are your clients all US based?
1: Yeah, so most of them all have um, offices, you know, globally, but we've started in the U.S. And one of our other focuses for next year um, is to start work. A lot of them, I mean, the regulations abroad outside of the U.S., um, there's a lot more clarity around, you know, what you should be doing and actually penalties um, for not doing it. Um, and so a lot of our companies like Salesforce and, you know, these global um, brands are, are wanting to push us um, abroad because n- not only do they have lots of um, jobs over there, but they also have more, you know, penalties for not complying. Um, and so what we're looking to do is actually get a cohort of some of our existing clients that will launch with us, um, start launching with us around Europe. Um, what we don't want to do is have to We don't want to launch to the candidates and not have the jobs yet. So we want to pre-populate with, you know, at least five to 10 employers so that when we go um, execute our our current candidate acquisition strategy across all the existing infrastructure, nonprofits, et cetera, that exist over there, as well as the digital marketing channels that we turn on, there's actually something there for them to immediately start engaging with. So that's another thing that we're working on for next year.
0: Yeah, I, I think that it's good to know, um, you know because, from a from my selfish point of view, you know, we we're a European. A hundred
1: thousand over a hundred thousand employees. We would love yeah. working with you.
0: So, <laughs> um, I, and I, I, but I'm interested in in a, the one of the comments that you made was about you know people being sort of pigeonholed into certain types of jobs and, and actually one of the challenges that that we face in Europe with these penalty structures is that actually they tend to create an ecosystem where people get pigeonholed into
1: yeah, it's like- certain
0: types of jobs because they create uh, sort of special companies and and and, and I'm sure. really yeah. yeah and one of the things i'm really passionate about is actually avoiding doing that and it. creating a, a an ecosystem where you assume competence and capability with support yeah and so you you make the assumption that someone is competent and then you find out what they need in order to perform at their best and so i think that really um curious to know about the sort of main recruiting channels as well, because I think that sometimes even the the, the DPOs, the disabled persons organizations, have low expectations of the people that they're representing, and so they're putting them forward for the kind of jobs that mean that they don't have those equity of career expectations and the promotion prospects that, that you would have had you not disclosed your disability? Had you, so, 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 those are some of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing whether or not you've managed to solve some of it with your existing clients in the U.S. And would be very interested to to see how that might work in in Europe.
2: No, no, the, Charles. Just let me add something to to what Nils was saying in relation to Europe, That sometimes people with disabilities end up in jobs but in reality nobody sees them in the organization they are somewhere doing a job but they are not really visible it's
1: charitable hire.
2: so so uh, th- that is how can we change that because that's really important to for diversity in organization that can affect innovation you
1: know in many other sectors yeah. So we we completely agree. I think our, pl- our vision as a company is to create one front door. We don't want a door for people with disabilities and jobs for people with disabilities. And then everyone else gets to sit over here, just as you said, they're not even incorporated into the organization in many cases. Um, so how we're solving for that, one, um, I'm trying to think which one should come first. One is... Because people have always been traditionally told not to disclose their disability if they don't have to, many people don't even know what accommodations they could be asking for, and that's huge. So on the candidate side, we don't just help employers figure out what accommodations to make and how to make them, but we help candidates figure out, based on the types of jobs that they might be interested in, what accommodations can be made for those jobs so that you can ask for them. So actually recommending to them what accommodations they can ask. So helping them, you know, for, to be more prepared for the interview and understand how they'll be more successful for those different types of roles so that they're not just pigeonholed into the the roles. And then in terms of the providers, what you were asking, Neil. It's the same thing. They've also been told to try and get people in before, you know, asking for an accommodation, et cetera. And, off, and also the um, the ecosystem to, uh, you know, find training programs and support programs, et cetera, for people with disabilities. It's so fragmented. So if you think if you're, you know, um, like a government appointed job coach, like, where are you going to even find out where can this person get trained or where can this person get a job or what job would be good for this person? It's it's incredibly manual and, you know, incredibly fragmented. So what we're also doing is for candidates that are coming in that maybe have no experience or they're just coming out of the education system we're not only aggregating jobs onto the platform, but we're also aggregating all the different types of training programs, um, support programs, development programs that are that are accessible to people with disabilities. So that if they're not ready for a job or they know what type of field they might be interested in, they can actually look for a, plat- a a service where they can get trained, et cetera, and then loop back into the platform to go look for a job. So what we're trying to do is, is you know, Antonio, to your point, figure out, you know, not just take the path of least resistance and shove all the all people with disabilities into, you know, a subset of five jobs. But I mean, they're just like everyone else. Like, They probably want have, you know, my, my cousins always wanted to be in, in beauty and makeup. That is, she has always been obsessed with that. And for so many years, she was working at a salon and folding towels and she was happy to do it, but clearly she was capable of so much more. And so what we're trying to do is, is help. Um, identify what, you know, what do people want to do? And is there a training program we can recommend to you so that you can get some training behind your belt and and then apply for an entry level position at a company in that field? So, you know, there's tons of, for low vision and for people who are blind, there's a lot of Salesforce um, training programs so they can become Salesforce admins. That's a huge job at like virtually every big company. Um, so you know there's so much innovation happening in this space of not just like helping employers figure out how to hire people but also upskilling people and um you know giving them a pathway to like a career that will progress over time just like everyone else is looking for yeah
0: excellent so um a couple of things so you you mentioned before that you you sort of you have the same one front door so you' you're, you're... Are you actually directly interfacing with the sort of the major recruitment platforms or or you're you're having to send so you've got a, a data interface into things like yeah. such factors and various other different major platforms so that the recruiters aren't having to go outside a
1: separate yeah. system. So that's yeah. a huge barrier for anyone in diversity and inclusion. And one of my investors actually was asking me to look at this company adjacent space to us mm-hmm. yesterday. And I was saying, um, you know. If you don't integrate with their existing system, it's almost like you're you're done from the beginning. Because one, recruiters have such high um, quotas to meet. Speed is really important. And they really don't need another system that they have to be checking and logging into at big companies where they have an applicant tracking system already. But secondly... If you want to actually create the genuine inclusion, you want the candidates to be funneled into the same pathway as everyone else. So we have we integrate with the company's existing applicant tracking system. So while someone's, um, you know, applying on our site, we're pushing it into the same place where everyone else is going. Um, And so, you know, it's twofold. It's, you know, it propels our mission for our vision forward to have this be one place for everyone. But secondly, um it removes that barrier, um, particularly with HR teams, where they just have a lot to do and like they can't be bouncing around and going here for you know for people of color and here for people with disabilities. No, like it great. needs to all be together.
0: The, you know, when we start creating fragmentation, we don't actually get the inclusion that we desire because no. you're taking people outside of their, their day-to-day working systems and you're asking them to do extra and um, it's not going to happen so so great that
1: you, it's an easy you know, way I'm, for them so, to push yeah. it off
0: <laughs> yeah. so, so great that you've removed that immediate objection um the other thing that I'm, I'm interested in is that some organizations at least are you know pursuing accessibility programs that you know and probably your customers being some of the most advanced. So they're going to already have um, a you know an established catalogue of assistive technologies and all of this kind of stuff. So um, one of the challenges that we have in my day job is that people make recommendations about what might help someone and they name a specific piece of software or a specific tool. And that sets expectations with an individual that they're entitled to a specific tool rather than a generic one that does the same thing. And, and so I'm really interested to know how you handle that because that, that can create some real tension in, in the workplace because it becomes really difficult if if you don't um, start to standardize in really big, complex organizations. Yeah. because it, it becomes unsupportable. And all, a lot of the work that we do for ourselves and for our clients is to turn what was chaotic and and well-meaning into something that is managed and structured and supportable. And and so for me, when, when we're working with partners, one of the things that I'm really interested to see is how they make those recommendations, whether or not it's possible that you could, for, you know, an employer, say Salesforce or whatever, know that they've got a particular set of um, tools and be able to say, well, someone's requested, you know, these accommodations, and and do the matching against their tools so that the manager doesn't go, oh, well, well, what's the screen reader? Oh, it's this. Oh, and I can request it from my portal over here. So, you know, those kind of things that, again, reduce the friction of the provision of accommodations or adjustments
1: we're not plugged in enough to be integrated with like the request of the tool that you have mapped to the accommodation. But what we are starting to do is build out a marketplace of the assistive technologies that are mapped to the accommodations that our candidates are asking for, and that we believe employers can provide across different um, jobs. And so what what we are starting to do is tag employers with what inclusive services that they use or assistive technologies. So as a candidate, if I know that I need um, Google, like I just maybe I I'm deaf and I know that I um, that Google Meets is the best captioning for me. You can look, um, you can actually filter on companies that use the Google Suite instead of you know Zoom or or Microsoft Teams. Um, and so giving the candidate an ability to filter down to to um you know jobs based on like those important preferences so we're so in one sense we're gating them to the right place if they really do have a preference there um on the other end you know what you've said about like, A a sort of a hiring manager may just recommend it, but then that's not actually what they have. That's definitely something we want to get into where we can actually pull the existing tools you have and map it to the accommodations. Um, So if someone is requesting something, it's really easy for the hiring manager to to understand we're not there yet. But that's definitely um, I see as a value add. But I do, I'd say one last thing on this, this subject is I think that, you know, and I think this is with like any employee friction for any subject, um, but it's really important to me in accessibility is understanding the why. Like, why is this tool better? Like, is it actually better? And are you not offering, you know, are there things that, you know, eventually you should be considering migrating over to? And also on the other side, um, you know, the employer explaining the why on this tool, like we're trying to make something that, can scale to more functionality and not just be, you know, pigeon to one thing. I always find that people um, are able to come around when they just understand the the rationale behind the decision instead of just, you know, well, this is the one we have like, just, I think it's, you know, simple as applying context. (laughs)
2: No, uh, sure. So something that caught my attention was uh, previously you have mentioned uh, someone can become a Salesforce administrator. Uh, uh, Did I uh, you admin.
1: guys for a second? Hello?
2: Yes, can you hear me?
1: Can you guys hear me? Yes, i yes, can. Oh, sorry. I just like you guys started spinning for a second. <laughs>
2: No, uh, we, we, you were uh, mentioning about uh, someone could become a Salesforce administrator. Uh, uh, let's say you have that job offer uh, somewhere and somehow realize, well, I don't really have this type of skills. Um, is there a, a way that you are working with some of your customers to try and find opportunities for people to upskill themselves or change, or change their careers?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so we we have all the sort of we're aggregating all the training programs um, into one place, so candidates can look for like things and skills that they're interested in um, and find a program that they can apply to or a training program they can enter in, so that they can actually get some type of experience and a stamp of approval as they're applying for jobs. Um, but I think that also one one thing that we've seen um, is that you know, employers will hire candidates into one role. And sometimes if it's not working out, they they then understand though what that person would would be good at um, and route them into the right place. And had they never let them in in the first place, uh, neither party would have probably known what the best fit is. And so it's it's not necessarily something you should just do for people with disabilities. Like, you know, I think that there's intangible... Um, benefits to employees that are loyal, that want to be there and that are super excited about your company. And with anyone, if they have the right attitude, you should, I mean, that's something money can't buy. Like that's just something that someone will either have or not have. Um, And so we've also seen our employers realize, okay, this candidate is going to stay with us. So let's find the right place if this initial job wasn't the perfect fit.
0: Okay, thank you. So um, we've hit the buffers on our, our half half an hour. I, I, I need to say thank you to my clear text for keeping me as captured. Thank you, Charlotte, for um, yeah. coming and joining us today. It's been really interesting, and I think we'll be definitely coming back and, and following your progress. Uh, I look forward to having a, a lively chat on Twitter. So yep. thank you once again.
1: Yeah, thank you, guys.